it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'll play you one game, one-on-one. For what? Your heart. Hello, Avril Mackie. What's shaking, bacon? Oh, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking sports. You know, I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's March, and it's it's. Uh, we're getting into some March madness. That's right. I know. I also love that we did the Olympics last week, and yep, we're like kind of slowly, not permanently by any stretch, but. The last this this episode and last week's episode are definitely like sports heavy, which I know feels foreign to me. And yet I felt so very excited. Uh-huh. And not at, I felt like I lived in the world of the cutting edge in the Olympics. I did, too. And that was one, such a great this moment. This one should also just be so fun. I think so, too. So I just like rushed back to record from my daughter's uh, softball game. And yesterday she had a game yesterday, too. We are serious people. We are. We just turned eight years old and we are serious in softball. Right. But I heard yesterday somebody told me that this area that we live is like really hardcore for sports. They're like, do you know, do you know Friday Night Lights? And I'm like, do I know Friday Night Lights? Do I know Friday Night Lights? I love that. Series. Clear eyes, full hearts. Candles. Yeah. And but they were like, this area is like that. Apparently it puts out a bunch of like NFL people and and. MB- oh, wait, baseball, national baseball. Also, I don't know. The MLB, MLB, MLB. I'm glad you know that. You guys should come to a game. I feel like you'd have a lot of fun. Yeah, um, but anyways, that would be so fun. We're, we're sports heavy right now. Like we're thinking in that terms. And I wanted to do something like in in honor of March Madness. What is March Madness? You ask. What is March Madness? I can Vanya? tell you. I can <laughs> tell you because I looked it up. Mar- I mean, I, I kind of know what it is, but I just wanted to be accurate for all of my basketball fans out there. March Madness refers to that time of year, usually mid-March through the beginning of April, when the National Collegiate Collegiate Collegiate. The Collegiate. Uh, <laughs> Athletic <laughs> Association, so the NCAA, men's and women's college basketball tournaments are held. 
why is it madness? That's what I was wondering. And apparently the term somehow captures just like everybody's all excited and because like Super people are like basketball stoked. and yay, yeah. I went a to tournament. a big basketball college. Uh, I went to the University of Kansas. Oh, so right. The Jayhawks, which are, um, they're pretty, pretty darn good. But I mean, I don't know how they're doing now, but when I was there, you know, they're often favored to win. So That's March right. Madness. March Madness was like a super crazy time on campus. Well, apparently so in the fun. weeks leading up to the big dance, as they call it, I guess. It's the big dance. <laughs> Hundreds of college basketball teams from all over the U.S. fight to earn a spot in the tournament. So it's like, yes, yeah. it's a big deal. And if your team is good, it's very exciting, especially for your college. So yeah. that is what is inspiring this episode's theme, right? Yes. Yes, it is. I'm so you excited. want to tell us what movie okay, you're going to talk to us about? God, I'm excited for this one. I have to always, I know I say honestly a lot, but <laughs> by the way, everyone, um, Avril and I's next podcast is going to be called Honestly Basically because we always say those Honestly, words. Honestly, basically, meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the name of our, our, next, our next podcast, our second totally. podcast. Um, okay, so the, the movie that I am going to cover, The Rom Drum, Yes, is. it is a rom-drom. I was like, this one's not a rom-com, it's a rom-drom. Yeah, and that's okay. I think that's totally fine because we're rom-crime. We didn't specify that's right. comedy. It's just romance and crime. So here we go. It is love and basketball. woo It is a romantic sports drama film written and directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. This was her feature film directorial debut. She also wrote it. She also played college basketball. I, <clears throat> I'm going to start by saying... While this movie was two hours long, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really, really liked this movie. Yeah, it's a good one. I had not seen it before. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, because I do love, uh, I love love and basketball. No, but I <laughs> thought it was, I thought it was really well made, and it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in like 2000. Yup, yup, yup. That's right. It was produced by Spike Lee and a couple other people, and it stars Sana Latham, Latham, and Omar Epps. So they've gone on to do many things. Oh, yeah. Tons of stuff. Yeah. But I will say I just I fell in love with these two little two little not little two wonderful characters. We are basically going through the entirety of their life. The movie is divided into four quarters like a basketball game. Yes, it is. Which I did not play basketball, Av, but I I know that I like to watch it. Um. But yeah, so it's divided into two qu- four quarters. The first quarter is when they're children and they meet. Second quarter is in high school. Third quarter is in college. college. Thank you. And then the fourth quarter is, oof, gets intense the in the fourth quarter. Will there be overtime? In, it's always intense. Will there be overtime? Is overtime like a thing in basketball? There is, right? I think so. I think all <laughs> sports, like if it's tied and the buzzer ends, except for mm, soccer. That's right. They tie in soccer. In soccer, you can tie, which I think is, for some reason, I find that hilarious. Yeah, it got lots of positive reviews and um, praise, but, like, it didn't make all that much money. However, people, it's like, it's become a cult classic, and the term, the phrase, excuse me, love, all is fair in love and basketball comes from this movie. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and listen to the trailer for you? I want to play for you. I love the trailer. Play it for me. Okay. Can I play? All right, you and Kelvin against me and Jamal. Oh, man, he's a girl. Girls can't play no ball. Ball better than you. I'm going to be the first girl in the NBA. No, I'm going to be in the NBA. You're going to be my children. They play the same game. If you don't start a bad attitude, 
clinical foul. No one's gonna recruit you. I'm a ball player. With a jacked up attitude. They share the same dream. You'd love for him to play USC like you did, right? No, I'd love for him to get a good education. I don't know why I keep hoping you'll grow out of this tomboy thing. I won't. I'm a lesbian. <laughs> That's not funny. Damn. You don't look half bad. You either. How about a little one-on-one? -on -one? What we playing for? I score, you strip. Take it off. Take it off. All's fair in love and basketball, baby. There's only one way to be successful at anything, and that is to give everything. Coach has us on 11 o'clock curfew. I can stay a few more minutes. I'm sweating. I'm sorry. I don't have it easy like you are, right? There's no red carpet laid out for me. And ain't no way some soft freshman is taking my spot. Uh, Monica, hustle up, move it! You forgot to be there. If I stayed, I wouldn't be starting. Well, at least you got your priorities straight. Look, I'm entering a draft. I'm going pro. So that's it. Just forget about you and me. New Line Cinema presents a story about the passion it takes. I never knew anyone loved ball as much as you. To keep your dreams alive. I've loved you since I was 11, and it just won't go away. For these two. I'll play you. One game, one on one. For what? Your heart. All's fair in love and basketball. I should be crying, but I just can't let it go. So I, I, I'm a little okay. So I'm gonna try my best not to like tell you this movie in all its entirety because I find it. I I liked the tone. I was shocked it was two hours. I was actually a little disappointed. I'm like, oh my god, two hours? That's forever. But it went by really fast for me. Yeah, it's and a I good one. And it, the way it's broken down too makes it, you know, like you said, it's four quarters. It's like the length of a basketball game. Yeah, and you know what, Gina, the director, um, she also directed. She also wrote Secret Life of Bees. She also directed that one. Oh God, I loved. I loved it. I just watched it uh, recently, and. It, did you guys watch The Old Guard? Did you watch that? No. Oh my gosh, watch it. I think it's on Netflix. Yes, it's available to watch on Netflix. By the way, you can watch Love and Basketball on HBO Max if you have it for free. I mean, you mm -hmm. pay for the app, but you know what I mean? So that's a that's yeah. a good thing about this. If you, after listening to this or if you want to revisit, that's a good way to do it. So I guess let's just get into it. I yeah. don't even necessarily want to read any reviews because they're all pretty good and I think they give away a little bit. All right. So just know the reviews were positive. They were positive <laughs> reviews. I mean, Roger, Roger Ebert did say a little bit like, you know, he... Okay, fine, I'm going to read it. Fine, after I'm doing it, I'm going to read his review. I'm just going to read like a little tidbit. He says, the, the bare bones plot of this movie doesn't convey the movie's special appeal. Written and directed by first time Gina Prince Bythewood and produced by Spike Lee, it is a sports film seen mostly from the woman's point of view. It's honest and perceptive about love and sex with no phony drama and a certain quiet maturity. And here's the most amazing thing. It considers sports in terms of career, training, motivation, and strategy. The big game scenes involve behavior and attitude, not scoring. The movie sees basketball as something the characters do as a skill and a living, not as an excuse for audience-pleasing jump shots at the buzzer. 
So that's actually, I'm, thank you. I'm glad I did it, actually. It's a good review. Good, good. It's always good to throw in one review. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise, I, it's, you know, talks about the actors and honestly, the great chemistry between the two, which mm-hmm. I agree with, Santa, Sanaa, and Omar Epps. Um, so this movie, the first quarter, is when their kids, Monica, is played by Sanaa. So she plays Monica, who her family moves into this really nice neighborhood in near Los Angeles. And she is 11 years old, I think, at the time. She loves basketball. And in that same neighborhood, we have Quincy McCall, who play, who, who played by Omar Ebbs. And they are next door neighbors. So much next door is that from her window to his window throughout this movie is like eight feet away. And they right. they can see each other throughout. Uh, but so the neighborhood boys are playing basketball in the hood and a really nice house, like a home front court. It's pretty amazing. But turns out his dad's actually an NBA player. So she comes up and she they think she's a boy and she wants to play. And they're like dogging her because she's a girl. But then she kicks their ass yep. and uh, Quincy gets pissed and somehow like pushes her and she cuts her face and it's a scar she has for the rest of her life right um, but she's like I'm a ball player and she says that throughout it's the conviction of this little girl who's like I want to play ball I want to be the I want to be the first woman in the NBA she says this throughout the whole thing right. and I freaking loved it I love that this is a movie basically a woman's point of view but it's told uh, it's told I guess, okay, I have a few things because I really do hate the term tomboy because why do you have to label something? Right. I, I was also called a tomboy. I, I I was an aggressive, sporty little kid, and I that's why I think I love this movie because I see myself in her a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was not a good basketball player at all. But anyways, after that, the next day, he his mom makes him, you know, they apologize, makes him walk her to school. And as they're walking to school, he's like, you know, do you want to be my, you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend? And she's like, what's that? Because mm-hmm. they're walking their bikes. And he's, she, she, he's like, well, I'll walk you to school and we get to play basketball. And if I do something, and if I, if you're mad at me, I buy you flowers. And she's like, well, I don't like flowers. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, okay. She's like, but I do like Twinkies. And so then for the next 10 seconds, they're boyfriend and girlfriend as they're walking. And he goes, okay, well, then you get on my bike. I'll ride you to school. And she's like, I don't want you to ride me to school. Like, right. I want to ride, my, I wanna own ride my own bike. And then they break up and start to fight again and brawl. And that's that. End up being friends, obviously, throughout their life. But they're, like, f- kind of frenemies. Like, the next chapter of this life, or the next quarter, excuse me, is second chapter when they're in high school. And they're not together. But there's definitely tension and they're best friends. There's a moment where the his NBA dad is fighting with his mom because he shows up late, you know, and he can hear them yelling and he goes and lays on her bedroom floor. And it seems like something that they had done many times, right. you know. Oh, I should mention the mother is played by Alfre Wood Woodward. Woodard. She is really great. She was... Um, do you know who that is, Evan? I do. Alfre Woodard is awesome. She's oh a my fantastic God. actress. I feel like she's, I don't know, I, I will watch her do anything, but she plays um, her mom. So Monica's mom is a hyper feminine homemaker who mm-hmm. left her career as a caterer to marry her banker husband. And, and 
she's very prissy. You know, I, I would say that. Right, and she does not understand why her daughter cannot just be more of a lady. Yeah, and she's only went to two games throughout her life. And meanwhile, we're within these things, we see montages of her playing basketball, her being really good. And in this second quarter, it's all about getting recruited to the college, to any college that she can get recruited to, to play basketball. And it's not looking good because, unfortunately, Monica has a bit of a temper. And she keeps getting in trouble. She keeps getting fouled and benched because, because of her bad attitude. And her, she is riding home with Omar, or sorry, she's riding home with Quincy, Q, and he's like, you know, you, you got to stop doing that. She's like, well, well, that's bullshit. You can talk shit on the, on the court. You can do this. You can do that. But I'm supposed to be calm. And if I don't act calm, I'm a difficult woman. And I just like, my insides kind of like graveled because I feel that. I felt that growing up. I was, I hated being told. <laughs> there's, oh, this is stupid, Evan, but I can't. What? My kids listen to Vivo all the time, the, song, the mm-hmm. music. Um, and there's that song, I Bounce to the Beat of My Own Drum. And <laughs> there's a line that's like, um, you're at a 10. I need you at a three. And I'm like, people would tell me that all the time. Like, you're right. at 10, Vanya, as a kid. Not that it's the same thing, but you know, don't tell me to calm down. I Well, it's a double like standard, it. right? That still very yeah. much exists today. Like, an emotional man is he's just like passionate and uh, and like getting it done and like you know he's got his whole heart into it and an emotional woman is like a loose cannon and crazy and needs to be benched because she just can't chill out and that's exactly. that's just yeah it's garbage it's full on garbage is what it is yeah her dad is saying you know he, her dad and her sister her sister's very like like female more more um her Sis- sister is like what her mom wants her to be like. She's exactly. way more feminine. She's into, you know, like makeup and dressing up and not and she's playing older. basketball. Yeah, but they're friends. They're friends. She's always doing her hair. And those are some of the scenes that I really loved is I, I remember as a kid, like my mom sitting and doing my hair and you have conversations, you know, you talk while somebody's braiding your hair or doing whatever. And there's there's a couple moments throughout their life and in this movie that she's getting advice from her sister and it's... They're such lovely scenes. Honestly, watch the movie just for that, okay? Um, but her dad says, you know, maybe it's time to think of something else besides basketball. And she's like, no, there is nothing. Um, and then, you know, it's it's comes to the time where she's got one more game left. She This is the last college that's coming because she got benched for the UCLA. USC recruiters come into this game. And she is nervous, but she... You can hear her inner dialogue. She's like, play smart, be smart, you know. And she did She did a good job, but we don't know. We don't know what happened. The next scene, she's actually going to the spring, like, formal dance. dance. And right. her sister has gotten a date for her from college, and he's a hunky hot. I mean, like, this dude is, like, NBA, like, model hot. I don't even know. But she's <laughs> nervous because she doesn't know who she is, but she wanted to go to the dance because, because on, honestly, her, her best friend, Q, is, like... There's hoes, apparently. There's hoes all around that just want to be his hoe. And so she kind of is starting to get jealous. And you can see the chemistry between them and that, that you know, he, he, she likes him. And, and when he sees her at the dance with this really beautiful man, he starts to get that way. So That's our rom-com moment. This is our rom-com moment. Yes, so they do dance. The dance in. where best friends, one of them has been like, unrequited love scenario and then he sees her all dressed up that's totally rom-com and she's like oh yeah. i love you too yeah and i will i think it is fine that she wore you know a dress she wears dresses she's not but i just 
I just don't want to deny that she likes, she feels comfortable in other clothes, you know, but whatever. She did put on a dress. She did look pretty and it's fine. I'm going to, I'll give it a pass. Not that you can't wear dresses. You can do whatever you want to do. I just don't want her to be forced into doing it because that makes me mad. Um, And also she was not comfortable in high heels. I was like, just wear cute sneakers. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I'm thinking differently, but obviously this is a movie and there are Tropes right. for a reason. That's <laughs> right. We, she's got to get all, she's got to have a makeover moment. Exactly. So she comes home <laughs> early. Well, I love a makeover moment. I mean, that's the thing. I love it. I love a makeover moment. Um, so she comes home from the dance early and she sneaks in through her window. Apparently, I guess she was out late. And then she sees a letter on her table from USC and she's like kind of freaking out. And then she sees that Quincy gets home because she can see him right. They basically share a bedroom. <laughs> it's very close. And they get together, and she makes him open the letter. And guess what? She got in. She got in. And guess what? So they're what, both what? going. Yep, they're both going. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, I'm going too. And they're like, oh, my God. And they kind of hug. And one thing leads to another. They start making out and rolling around in a lawn. And I'm like, do it. Do it. But then she's like, she gets up, and she starts to walk away. And she's like, aren't you coming? And he's like, oh, yeah. So they get they bone. They get boning. They do it. They yeah. do it, do it. Vanya's chant worked. Do it, do it. <laughs> exactly. That's my cheer for them. Um, okay, let's see. Oh, his dad. His dad is constantly re- telling Quincy to watch out for those fast hoes. And he's like, well, God, dad. And all Quincy wants to do is impress his dad. Like, he wants to play basketball. He wants to do all these things. And meanwhile, his dad is like, I want you to get a good education. I don't want you to rely on basketball because whatever, he played for the Clippers, but maybe he wasn't like the best player. Maybe he didn't have savings. Who knows? But he's he's warning him, please just get an education. But no, his dad, Quincy's like, no, I want to be a baller just like my daddy. <laughs> um, and then, let's see. Yes, she calls her the bedroom. She says, come on. And they, oh, that's when they, that's when they play Kate Bush song. Mm-hmm. The Kate Bush song. Um, and they make love and our boyfriend and girlfriend. And now we are into our quarter three where it is time for some college basketball. So they are both on the team. And so shit's serious. You know, it, when you're playing college basketball and you get a scholarship, especially you not especially if you're on the team, it is hardcore. The hours are hardcore. You get up, you play, you do your work, you do your homework. So she's she's having tr- not trouble, but she's being ridden by this coach. And the, the lady who plays the coaches, she looks like a real coach. And the way she talks is pr- she's pretty intense. She's like hard on her. Like at one point at practice, or not? Yeah, they're playing like a scrimmage game, and Monica goes to like a, do a three pointer, and she sort of poses for a second, and the coach was like, blows a whistle. What the hell was that? And <sighs> She's like, show me your pose again and makes her stand like that in the pose where she throw just threw the ball for the rest of the game or for the rest of the practice, which, you know, is pretty intense. But guess what? In the but end, again, a double standard like yeah. men are never. Well, I mean, not never. I guess sometimes they could be like, that was not very sportsman. But like to showboat after you do yeah. something amazing, like and think of all the things football players do, like when they score a touchdown, totally. they do like full blown routines and nobody's ever like. You well, better, you're going to have to do that routine for the rest of practice. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I think the difference here is that she's a freshman coming in and they're like. Right. And she's acting like she's. You need to earn your shit too here, good. lady. Right. Yeah. So that happened. And what ha- what happens next is Omar finds out 
sorry, I like can't call him Quincy. Q. Q <laughs> finds out that his dad actually was cheating on his mom and has a baby from another woman and had been like going out on her. So his mom and dad are getting divorced and he's losing his shit. And the scene, we see them on the bleachers and he's like really depressed and she's like watching, looking at her watch. She's like, right. he's like, I'm sorry, I got to go. They're, they have us on 11 p.m. curfew because they have a game tomorrow. And she's like, well, just walk with me and then we can kind of, you know, whatever. And he's like, no. And he gets all hurt about it. Right. He's like, you're not going to blow off your curfew and get benched and be with me in my time of need. Which, again, is not, you know, I totally understand that feeling. Of yes, like, me too. Like, am I not more important than a game tomorrow? But also at the same time, it's like, what are we working for here? Like, all you know she ever this wanted. is my dream. And I will get in trouble and yeah. probably not get to play. But of course, you know, egos yeah. in relationships. So he does just a bad, bad thing when she decides to abide by her curfew. Yeah. It makes me a little, it's a movie, but I'm like, like, go home and get on the phone together. Like be, yeah. he's on a team too. There are, they have those curfews for the guys too. You know, it's not like something new, but I guess in his mind, it's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Right. I need someone and you should understand that just this once. Like, I've, you know, so I, I understand the the issue. But anyways, yeah, she goes back. He goes out and gets all drunk and freaky and freaky drunk. Um, let's see. He gets freaky drunk. <laughs> and so then they break up because he feels she doesn't have time for him. And he, she says, doesn't he doesn't he cheat on her? Yeah, she catches him cheating. Sorry. Yeah. She catches like, him cheating. He almost like goes out of his way to be like, I'm going to hurt you so bad because you hurt me so bad when you left me alone last night in my despair. Yeah. So that's the end of that. Yeah. She's like, I'm a ball player. You should know that. And yeah, so they break up because he felt ignored and neglected. And he's he's entering the draft. He's like, I'm quitting school. I'm just going to enter the draft and go pro, which on a, that's really hard to do. <laughs> it's really hard to do. Right. But guess what? That it does happen. So he just goes straight up into the, into the big time, big game, big show against his dad's wishes. Exactly. Like, and I'm then, not going to get finished my education. And he says, you know, I'd still like us to be friends. It's, I hate breakup. I mean, I hate breakups are so sad, but He's kind of a dick about it, you know? But he's like, I'd still like us to be friends. And, you know, that's kind of She's impossible. Like, no. Fast not forward happen. to our fourth quarter. And we it's they they plunge us into the next scene. So this is like Five years after high school, or yeah, after college, and she's in. They're in Spain, in Barcelona, Spain. She is playing professional ball. It is yeah. so exciting. And this is meant to be like before the existence of the WNBA. So exactly. there are like international women's leagues where you're a professional um, basketball player as a woman, but there's no like WNBA yet. Yeah, yeah. And Spain. So she's Monica's lonely. She's she's not she's not really branching out, but she is. We see like the locals asking for her autograph, and she's so amazing. And they, there's a tournament, or not a tournament? It's a, a championship, and she sees one of her old uh, college, you know, player co-players that she played with, and they have dinner afterwards. And she's saying, "Don't the Italian boys love me? Aren't you? You should be having fun here." And she's not. She's just not. 
And meanwhile, Quincy, we see him playing. He is playing for the Lakers and um, he is like goes up for like a dunk. And then he as he comes down, he injures his he tore his ACL, which is super bad to do. And it's yes, like it all is. sad. And he's in the hospital and we see his dad come up and his mom, who's like, oh, go screw yourself. Um, but right. he's like, she's like, get away. She's like, he doesn't want to see you because he, he refused right. to talk to his dad because his dad did a bad thing and lied and all that stuff, which is not necessarily a reason to punish someone, but it makes sense that you would feel like you wanted to. Right. Your dad had a secret family. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. That's, and That's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. And they hadn't seen each other in five years. And so they have a moment together. It's it's interesting. It's it's fine. He's like, I don't want to see you. And the dad's like, you know, I feel like you divorced me with your mom five years ago. So it's not all me not coming to see you, whatever. And then after he leaves, Monica comes in and because she's like, so she's moved back home, guys. She has moved back home. She is living in the bedroom now where she used to live (laughs) because she... She was lonely. She just didn't want to play. We, we don't really get the full story until a little bit later, but she's working at the bank with her dad. And anyway, she comes in to see him. And, and then as he's ta- they're talking, Tyra Banks, his fiance, walks in, and she's like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, she doesn't realize that they're going to get married. And she's like, she's like, you're getting married? And she's like, yeah. And then she puts the ring right in her face. And like, help me not. And <gasps> yeah. So then there's a great scene. We see her mom work out. Okay, so we we have this moment between the mom and daughter. So Monica and her mom. And her mom's being like, I know you don't respect me because I work, I stay at home. And, the, and then Monica's like, because... Well, let's see. How do I unpack this? Monica's mom is really critical of her. And that's how it feels to me watching as the kid. Maybe I'm putting myself in Monica's shoes, you know? Right. Because she's always like, well, if you play that dumb game or blue, you know. So she doesn't. What Monica wants is her mom to like be excited for her and. And respect her as like for her talent and what and her passion. And what the mom wants is for Monica to respect her for the sacrifice she made to stay home and take care of her family and all that. And they ha- it's a good scene. Um, they work out some past aggressions, uh, although the mom does hit her. <laughs> I'm like, whoop, whoopsie-daisy. Um, okay, so then Monica knows, what does she say? Knows on Quincy window. <laughs> Sometimes I can't read my notes. Do you ever get that? I'm guessing that's knocks on Quincy's window. I, oh, yeah. It is because let me tell you something after after the mom and daughter sort of like come together, the mom comes back another day and says, you know what? When I said that Quincy could do better, I did. I meant you. And she was like, I've never seen you not fight for what you want in this life. And so Monica go fight for what you want. Yeah, she's he's staying over at his old, you know, old mom his mom's old house and so and apparently um tyra banks is as a flight attendant so she's off somewhere but they're getting married in two weeks and she knocks on that door and she says i will play you i'll play you one game one-on-one if i win it means that you want me to win because he was like i I always let you win apparently um if i win that means that you want me to win and that you don't want this life with your fiance." Because we 
I love you, you know, I, I love mm-hmm. you. And they have a whole talk about when they broke up and, and he's like, you forgot to be there. I had a curfew. If coach would have caught me, I wouldn't have been able to start. At least you got your priorities straight. I never asked you to choose. You never had to anyway. So that's from their back. They're talking, they're rehashing that shit out. And so they decide to play the game. They're like, okay, let's go. And they play for love. So the love. stakes are high. So yeah, high. It's like if she wins, he doesn't marry Tyra Banks because he wants to be with her. And then he, and if he wins, then he can do whatever he wants, I guess. That's right. If, well, she says, she said, if, he, if you win, I'll buy you a wedding gift. Like, so I'm going to be the bigger person. I'll leave you alone and right. I will buy you a wedding gift and get out of your hair. They play one-on-one and she's doing pretty good because she's playing good defense. You know, defense wins games, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so she's like almost winning and he has a, he's a brace on because he's still, he's recovering from his ACL. ACL? Yeah. I almost, yeah, his torn ACL. Yep. And so he takes off the brace and then he schools her and beats her and it is devastating i mean god this is where i'm like sanaa you are an actress like her face my heart was breaking and as she's walking like starting to walk away in just complete just destruct just despair he says hey double or nothing and then they kiss and you're like whoa whoa oh my god holy shit and so what happens next is we don't see we don't see him because of course i think about this i'm like canceling a wedding all those things mm-hmm. we just cut to the women's nba wmba mm-hmm. who guess who's playing we see monica on her back her number she's playing for the sparks mccall's which is quincy's last name and in mm-hmm. guess who's sitting koisai baby her hubby her husband cute. and their cute little baby and the baby goes mama and that is the end and if you keep watching until the end of the credits guys there's a little fun easter egg where their daughter is like dunking the shit out of a ball in Amazing. outside, you know. And I know, I hope I told that okay. But it gave me, it gave me chills. It gave me hope. I was happy that it wasn't a movie about like a really uber feminine, you know, because not all. Well, God, you know, gender is a spectrum, and also like just let people be who they want to be. That's all I have. Right. To say. And what's amazing, what's amazing too about this movie is that. Their friendship, which becomes, you know, a romance. Yeah. And ultimately, like, I'm assuming because it's the movies, a life lived together in love and of happiness is, is mostly based on their mutual, like, love of this game yeah. and their mutual drive. And she, like, she wouldn't be who she was if that if that wasn't such a big part of her and he wouldn't have fallen in love with her if she was anything, anyone other than who she was. And so, yeah, like, be yourself and, like... Do what you love and be passionate yeah. and go for go for what you want, you know, as long as it's not like murder. Yeah. With like your full, Good. full heart, mind, body, and soul. I agree. And I think this movie shows somebody who is completely unwavering I- in their desires, both on and off the court, yeah. man. And it's so good. And it is just one of those movies that, yeah, even though there's some like tough moments and some like heartbreak along the way, in the, in the end, you're just like, yay! It's a good ride. It's a good ride. And <laughs> yeah. I feel like part of the reason it is hard for, I think a lot of people to be who they are to or is because so much social media is like you see what what we're supposed to be you know that's how it was for us back in right. the, when we were little it was more like the magazines and things like that for sure yeah, yeah and i think what they're 11 in the 80s mm-hmm. so they would have certainly been 
constantly being pitched to those very specific gender oh, roles. Sure. You know, we talk, we've talked about that before, like everything down to our shampoo kind of tells us who we're supposed to be. And then Alanis um, gets on the scene and she's like, and I'm here to remind you. <laughs> Sorry, I just watched the Alanis documentary. we off just <laughs> like the guys. Um, yeah, we do. We do. Maybe even more so sometimes. Okay, so. Tell us. This is the part where I'm normally like, I thought about this and I thought about that. I obviously knew 100% I was going to, I put in to like the Google search, basketball true crime. I love it. <laughs> and there's a lot there um, because a lot of NBA players have like kind of like famous criminal records. Like, Sure. There was one guy, I don't remember his name, but he had like over 152 arrests. Oh. While he was in the what? NBA. And they were a lot of them for like small things like possession of marijuana things. And I'm like, that shouldn't you shouldn't be arrested for that kind of stuff. But there was also like DUIs and all kinds Sorry. of stuff. But I was like, OK, so it's just a list of things people have been arrested for. I found one story of a basketball player whose wife had hired a hitman. Uh Oh, But then I was like, eh. that doesn't feel like totally in the spirit of in love and basketball. But then. I came across this New York Times article, which then led me to an episode of, I believe it's ESPN's 30 for 30. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a fabulous story that involves crime, but is really a story about love and basketball and love being like even more important than basketball, even when basketball is your everything in your whole life and like what you've dedicated yourself to. So are you familiar with Maya Moore? No, I'm not. The WNBA star? Okay. So Maya Moore was born in Jefferson City, Missouri. She had a single mom, but she was raised within this like big extended family. So very well loved, kind of like a middle class um, family. And very from a very young age, she was always taller than everybody and she was a badass basketball player, yes. much like our Monica. And at the age of 16, like her high school record is something insane, like 125 to three wins and losses. So she like won 125 games, lost three what? in her entire career in high school. Good for By her. 16, like the scouts are all up over her. They're talking about sending her to the Olympics because, you know, in certain sports like basketball and hockey, it's not necessarily pro athletes that they send to play on those teams. Um, In fact, there was a time when you couldn't be a pro athlete to compete. Once that changed, that's when I think when the U.S. started always winning basketball in the Olympics. But at 16, she's starting to be scouted. Um, All of the colleges want her. She ultimately decides to go to um, UConn which is a huge basketball school. And she is an absolute star there Uh, under her, you know, kind of like team leadership as a player. They win like two NCAA championships. So March Mm. Madness abounds. And um, eventually she is drafted in 2011 into the WNBA where she joined the um, Minnesota Lynx and is widely considered to be the greatest. And I don't want to say female basketball player, but they do they do, you know, differentiate because it's different leagues. But she is considered to be the the greatest player in the WNBA kind of ever. Mm-hmm. So just keep hold that in your hearts. Remember all of that. Okay. And I'm going to pivot completely away. But I just wanted everyone to know who Maya Moore was. And I, I feel like I'm going to accidentally call her Monica Moore because of the M's. <laughs> but Maya Moore is who we're talking about. Okay. So now we're going to cut to Wentzville, Missouri. 
And I'm going to introduce you to a fella named Jonathan Irons. In this documentary, the 30 for 30 that I watched, she basically talks about how he was raised by his grandmother. So his parents were not in the picture and they were well below the poverty line. He says that he used to joke that he was going to have to climb the ladder just to get to poverty. Oh, wow. So he is being raised by his grandmother. She's raising him alone. Um, he can, he calls her kind of like an angel, like anybody who ever needed help, she would welcome them into their home. At one point, he said there was like 25 different people living with him and his grandmother because she was just helping them out, you know, when they needed a place to stay. Um, but life is hard. And, uh, you know, Things are not good, obviously, well below poverty line. So at the age of 16, Jonathan drops out of school and he joins a gang. And it gives him this sense of family and that somebody's got his back, somebody's looking out for him. And he starts uh, dealing marijuana uh, to make money, which in his 16-year-old mind is completely necessary to live. He tries to give some of this money to his grandmother and she's like, where'd you get that? Mm. And he's like, oh, she's like, I don't want that. I don't I don't want your dirty money, you know, so he he's very, very delightful in this documentary, too. I recommend it. It's an episode in the most recent season of 30 for 30. Um, and he talks about how he would j- then start like stuffing just like a couple dollars here and there, like in couch cushions. And then his grandma would be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I dropped this money. <laughs> and that was the only way he could get her to take his um his drug gang related earnings. But he felt very proud that he was able to contribute to his grandma. All right. So we're going to cut to January 21st of 1997. Um, it's about a, a week before Jonathan's 17th birthday, and he is in Troy, Missouri, and he is there to sell marijuana. And as he's, you know, like kind of hanging out outside, two plainclothes police officers pull up, jump out of their vehicles, draw their guns at him, and then one of them actually tackles him to the ground. They arrest him. And put him in the back of the car and take him to the station. And they're like, we're booking you for armed um, robbery. And he's like, what? I have no idea oh what God. you're talking about. So a man um, who was coming home from work and interrupted a burglary in Troy uh, had been shot. And basically, they're arresting him for this crime. And... He's really confused. He has no, absolutely no idea what they're talking about. He doesn't live in this town. He just kind of came up. It's not super far or anything, but he came up there to, to deal some drugs, okay. you know, and and pay for some, you know, some foods, treat his granny to some couch cash. <laughs> um, and it's just him in this room with the cops. They never call his grandmother. They never bring in, um, you know, like an adult a lawyer, his a parent, you know, a guardian, anything. So it's a 16-year-old boy, police officers alone in a room. And then they proceed. Uh, so they're asking him all about this robbery. Like, we know you did this. And he says, um, I plead the fifth. And the cops are like, you watch too much TV, kid. And then they proceed to rough him up. <gasps> One of the officers, um, like, pushed him into a wall and pushed him so hard that the clock on the wall, that's my dog shaking his little <laughs> Um, That's, if you could hear that, uh, push him so hard into the wall that the clock actually like falls off, you know, so they're roughing him up. And, um, sorry, let me turn. The page I, what here. jerks. That makes me really, really mad. I We're know. And also he's a minor. <laughs> well, he's a minor. Yeah. And he's a minor. So after they rough him up, they take the tape out of the video recorder that's in the room. So they get rid of the, the interview, like the evidence of them roughing him up. And they take him back to his cell. 
So he's now been arrested with this armed um, robbery. He's given a public defender, as you are, and um, the his lawyer advises him to take a plea. They're offering a plea. They offered you 30 years. <gasps> and he's like, fuck that. And then they're like, okay, 25 years or 20 years. All right, 15 years. We'll give you 15 years. And he's like, I no, I'm not going to take a plea. I didn't do this. And there could, there's, there can't possibly any ev- be ev- blah, 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 stroked out. I just stroked <laughs> out. There can't possibly be any evidence tying me to this because I didn't do it. I'm not going to take a plea. And also, he says in this documentary, you know, I'm a 16 year old, and I just assumed that there's there are adults in the room who are going to see how wrong this is, and they're going to help me. I'm just a kid. So he goes to trial, uh, and he's found guilty of first-degree assault, armed criminal action, and first-degree burglary. And the judge sentences 16-year-old Jonathan Irons to 50 years in prison. Yes. So no adult in the room ever stands up and says, this seems like, what's going on here? Um, And so, of course, not surprisingly, in prison, Jonathan is incredibly depressed. He's not eating. Um, He's just a little wee babe. Uh, eventually, he realizes he has to kind of toughen up, so he starts acting all tough. Um, and then, oh, and he said, uh, for years, those first few years in prison, he really felt like his soul had been ripped away from him. Like, for no reason, he is he's going to spend basically Unfair. his whole life. He'll be 66 years old when he gets out, and he was 16, and he didn't do this. And um, and no one even died. Meets, like, no one was murdered. Right. Because, I mean, that would have actually probably been a life sentence because if the if the guy who had been shot had actually died, then that's like felony murder in the oh. first. Like if anyone ever dies in the commission of a, another crime, like a robbery, uh. everyone involved goes to jail forever. Oh. Um, but at the prison, he met the chaplain, who was a gentleman named Chaplain Stephen Kraft, who was very widely respected and basically kind of saw something in young Jonathan and was like, you are not this like tough guy, you know, like act you're putting on. And he tells him that he wants him to come see him at the chapel and that he needs to start going to church. So Jonathan is like, okay, I mean, what else am I going to do? I'm in prison for the rest of my life. So he he goes to church and he says what? While he was there, he just felt this overwhelming sense of peace come over him, sitting in this beautiful room with all of these beautiful windows. And then the choir started singing, and he realized that he was singing along. He knew the songs. And um, after that initial, you know, time going to church, he starts going every week, and he joins the choir. And it's really, you know, it's like the one thing he has. So... As part of the choir, he becomes quite close with the choir director, a gentleman named Hugh Flowers. And Mr. Flowers always said that he was always drawn to the the boys in his choir that he could he could tell were just like really smart and had so much going for them if it weren't for their situation. And so he becomes quite taken with Jonathan and he gives him, you know, like lots of help with how to sing, teaches him how to sing from his diaphragm, informs him that he has perfect pitch, and then also just really encourages him to like continue to educate yourself. Like your life matters, even though you're in here and you matter and I think you're special. And for Jonathan, and it's so sweet, I was telling, I texted Vanya last night that I was for the first time ever crying happy tears Mm. while watching my crime story. (laughs) There's just like a lot of really 
beautiful human moments in this story. So for Jonathan, to him, Mr. Flowers was the first teacher he'd ever had in his life, remember he dropped out of high school at 16, who took the time to really reach him, who insisted on reaching him. And he made him feel smart and he made him feel worthy. And Jonathan at one point told Mr. Flowers that he loved him and asked him if he would be his dad. Oh my goodness. And I know. And, and then he starts crying and I'm crying and everyone's crying. <laughs> and, and Hugh, Mr. Flowers, Hugh Flowers said, of course I will, because I can't imagine not having a father figure because his dad had been so important to him. And he was like, I would love nothing more than the wow. honor of being your dad. Um, so... He promises Jonathan he'll be there for them as a father. And in doing so, he starts to introduce him to some of his family. Now, something that this family does, obviously, he is a choir director in a prison's choir. They do a lot of um, ministry within prisons, his family. So he introduces Jonathan to his daughter, Sherilyn Williams, and her husband, Reggie. They all meet him in January of 2005. And slowly, they really do become a family. Oh, and I did I mention that Hugh Flowers, the choir director, is Maya Moore, the WNBA star's great uncle, no. and that um, Sherry and Reggie are her godparents? Nope, you did not mention I that. I didn't, but I'm mentioning that now, <laughs> so you should just know that. So um, that extended family I mentioned that she was very close to growing up, um, that's who I'm talking about. Okay, so... They, you know, as becoming part of the family, they'd start, Maya is becoming like a hugely successful within the world of basketball and sport. So they start telling Jonathan all about her and he is incredibly impressed. Um, And he's just like, wow, this girl's really going places. That's so exciting. You know, and he starts to kind of cheer for her, even though he doesn't know her and she doesn't know him. And around the same time, now that they've gotten to know him and he's become, you know, a member of their family, Reggie, who is um, Sherry's husband, so Maya's god father starts asking Jonathan to just tell him a little bit about like how he ended up in prison like tell me about your case he mentions and I loved him so hard for this he's like you know I'm a big fan of like CSI and like all those crime shows like that's what I do in my downtime and I was like me too man me too I love it (laughs) so he like fancied himself like just tell me the details I've got a mind for crime um and so he asks him to explain everything and then he starts just kind of looking into it he googles it finds all the articles that came up at the time of the arrest and then the trial. And um, and basically what he can see is that in the papers, the articles written about it, they like try him in the press way before he ever goes to trial. It's like foregone conclusion. This 16-year-old gang member came up from Wentzville to Troy, robbed this guy's house, and when he came home, he shot him, you know, and so... It's like he was tried before trial. Mm. And then the more the more Reggie's kind of looking into it, like he, there was no bail or bond. You know, the guy didn't die, as you mentioned. So there's no death here. Um, but like it was going to be a million dollars bond, you know, stuff like that for this 16 year old kid who obviously, yes, maybe had been involved in some stuff, but didn't have like a criminal rap sheet or anything like yeah. that. Um, and so the more Reggie looks into the case, the more questions that he has and the more questions that he has, the more he becomes pretty um, certain that something isn't right here. Like, this feels like an injustice. Like, we, he's telling us he's innocent. Obviously, we believe him, but also we're just looking at the facts of how he ended up here, and it just, it doesn't, um, it doesn't add up. So he and Sherry, Reggie and Sherry, obtain all of the case files that Jonathan's public defender had from the trial, and Reggie becomes obsessed with these. He goes through them, all of the all of the files in these boxes, so many times that he basically has like the information 
that the lawyer had at trial memorized. Um, and as the years go by, he's, you know, he's constantly asking lawyer friends that he knows, like, this is crazy, right? Something's wrong here. Um, and this is the story he's telling him. So let me explain to you what happened the day of that burglary. So on January 14th at ni- um, of 1997, around 6.30 p.m., Stanley Stotler came home from work. He went straight to his bedroom to change his clothes. He heard a noise coming from the closet. Having been the victim of a- another robbery um, or burglary three weeks earlier, Stanley reached uh, for his gun and shouted for the burglar to come out. After a brief exchange, Stanley was shot twice, once in the arm and once in the temple. He later recovers enough to walk himself from his room to the kitchen and dial 911. The police report, the official first police report after he called 911 and was taken to the hospital, stated that Stanley could not identify who shot him. He has no idea what he looked like and he couldn't possibly identify him. Now, this report would contradict what he would say later on in court. So police had identified through like canvassing and all that stuff that there had been two black males that had been seen in the neighborhood. One of them fit the description of Jonathan and one had a completely different description that the police apparently never even bothered to pursue because they found Jonathan. So, um, On top of that, things in the trial, to Reggie's mind as he's telling the story, they didn't add up. Jonathan had witnesses, alibi witnesses, that his lawyer never called to testify. And um, every time Reggie is mentioning this to other lawyers, trying to get anyone to be like, will you maybe look into this and take this case on? They're like, yeah, they'd kind of downplay all of this stuff and say, you know, it's going to be really hard to prove any of this well, it's a man's life. So maybe like look into it and try. It might be hard, but you should try. So, you know, having this family now that he hadn't really had before, he had his wonderful grandmother, but like having this real family rooting for him and wanting to help him kind of lights a fire under Jonathan. So he starts writing his own um, petitions. He starts filing his own briefs um, and basically turns his cell into like a university. And he is reading everything he can about case law and appealing and overturning convictions in the state of Missouri. Yes. Um, and so Sherry, Reggie, and Jonathan, they, they, they're getting to work now. Like, we're going to find somebody who's going to agree to look into my case. Now, by 2007, Maya, who travels a lot because she's an amazing basketball player. She, at this time, she's a student at the University of Yukon, kicking ass, winning NCAA championships. March Madness. But she is spending, yes, she's spending every summer with her godparents because she loves them. And now that she's moving around some more, she, they're not as as much a part of her day to day. So she spends her summers with them. And um, in the summer of 2007, while staying with them, she gets a chance to see just how invested they had become in this, this man, Jonathan Iron's story. Um, also in 2007, Jonathan gained permission for Reggie and Sherry to go to the Troy police station and obtain the police records and files from his, so not the lawyers, the what the police okay. had. Um, and so Reggie goes in and he's like, I'm here to pick up the files. And like, it's really funny in the documentary, the girl, at the, she's like, are you FBI? And he's like, I'm here to pick up the files. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm not going to say yes or no. I just want you to give me what I have permission for. So she hands him <laughs> a blue folder and at this point, Reggie has the lawyers, Jonathan's lawyers' files, like committed to memory. He's gone over them so many times. So he starts flipping through what the police have. And things are 
looking pretty much the same. Okay, I've seen that. I've seen that. I've seen that. But then he's looking at this latent fingerprint report and it stops him cold because this report doesn't look like the latent fingerprint report that his lawyer had. Um, and it turns out that at trial, they said that all the fingerprints found at the crime scene belonged to the victim, which makes sense because it's his right. house, you know. Um, but this report that he's looking at states that aside from the victim's fingerprints, they had found two other fingerprints belonging to unidentified individuals, meaning two fingerprints that were not Stanley Stotler's, probably were the burglars, like in the crime scene area, had been found, and that had not been disclosed uh. to his lawyer. So... On one of Maya's visits to Sherry and Reggie's, um, they have case files like laid out all over their house. And Maya's like, okay, what is this? Like, tell me about this guy and what you guys are doing here. And um, then after they kind of explain everything, they're like, hey, if you want, we're going to go see him. We could get your name thrown on the visitors list. You could come as well. Would you want to meet him? And she's like, well, I mean, yeah, it sounds like this guy's really important to you and you consider him family and you're my family. So um, she agrees she's going to go with them to meet him. Now, when Jonathan finds out that big time basketball store that he's oh. been you know, always hearing about is coming to meet her, him, he's really nervous. <laughs> he's afraid like he's 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 like, is she going to be afraid of him or is she going to not believe him that he's innocent? But when Maya, Sherry and Reggie come in the room, Maya looked Jonathan directly in the eye and gave him a big hug and let him tell his story. And the two actually became really good friends. They would talk on the phone every couple of months or so. And then in 2011, when uh, Maya is drafted into the WNBA and she joins, as I mentioned, the Minnesota Lynx and she quickly becomes a sensation and they show clips of her. She's just insane. She's um, one of the first female basketball players to ever get like a sponsorship with Nike. I mean, she is she's kind of transcending mm. WNBA is a separate thing from the NBA. It's like this woman is an insane basketball player and we all need to be watching her. Um, and she was also the first woman in the history of the WNBA to score in the double digits in every single game she wow. played in for an entire season. Not a game that she oh played in, which gosh. was every game. She scored in the double digits. So she's like next level good at basketball, you guys. Um, and through all of this, she and Jonathan maintained their friendship, talking on the phone um, every once in a while. And anytime she would talk to him, if she had a game that day, she'd be like, I'll wave to you. And then they show a couple of times where she's being interviewed after a game. And she goes like, cute on the camera. And she's waving to Jonathan. Okay. Let me get back on track here. Okay. So then in 2016, so she's a huge star now. Uh, Maya and her teammates make headlines when four security guards stage a walkout um, and refuse to provide their service at one of the Minnesota Lynx games because all of the women on the team wore Black Lives Matter t-shirts. What? Right? And then they show this horrible, stupid, like police guy that's like stay in your lane just play ball my officers are very frustrated it's a very frustrating time and it's like f you dude yeah. it's sh they can wear whatever they want okay so as a result of this they get a lot of media attention i'm sure you probably even yeah, remember it because it was the women's basketball teams that started doing it first um and she this is also minnesota where she's you know so this is the philando castile um 
another police officer in Texas who was black, I think, had been shot. Um, and so she they, she's like, this is just we, we have to talk about this. And she becomes kind of a powerful voice mm. for the Black Lives Matter movement. And feeling kind of emboldened by her ability to bring attention to social justice issues that matter to her, she's like, you know what? I I want to help Jonathan. Like, Sherry, Reggie, put me in, coach. Right. You know, like, I'm good yeah. at this. And I have a platform. Like, let me help. And so they bring her on. And what she decides to do after kind of a failed um, attempt at doing a press conference to draw awareness, like, Friends and family show up, but like no media bothers to come. So she actually starts a nonprofit called Win With Justice. You can visit their website at winwithjustice.org. And so while Maya is starting to share Jonathan's story publicly and attempting to also educate herself on the ins and outs of like legalese and what you need to know, because that there's a lot. Um, so I said, while she's educating herself and trying to draw awareness, she's also slaying it. On the basketball Um, As I mentioned earlier, she is widely believed to be the greatest WNBA player of all time, winning four WNBA titles, two NCAA titles, and two Olympic gold medals. Um, So she absolutely stunned her fans and the sports world when she announced in 2019 that she was going to take a sabbatical from basketball, sit the season out because she wanted to focus on family and ministry and um, her nonprofit, Win With Justice. So the world is stunned. She's like the prime peak of her success. And she announces that she's going to sit the 2019 season out because she just has other things that she, feel, she feels are more important that she needs to focus on. People are shocked, but also like, all right, do you. Her coach is like, you know, I, I respect her decision. But you can tell he's also like, I can't believe yeah. he's doing this to us. Um, so she launches a petition for Jonathan and raises even more awareness with her focus solely on his fight. Um, she basically elevates his case to a whole new level. Like people know who he is now and they're starting to hear his story. She can afford to bring in lawyers. Um, and the lawyers that they bring in are like that 2007 latent fingerprint record that Reggie found in the police file that was different than the one that his that Jonathan's lawyer had. That's a Brady violation. Mm. So if you don't know what that is, listeners, I'm sure you do because we love true crime. But the, basically, the Brady rule is from a case, Brady v. Maryland, which says that the state that is trying someone, they are required to disclose any exculpatory evidence to the defense. Any evidence found that could basically exclude your client as from being guilty. But any evidence. You have to give it to the defense. Yes. They have to have all of the same Otherwise, stuff Otherwise, it's that not a have. fair trial. It's yeah, Exactly. So... The lawyers are like, yes, we have something here. So they decide that they want to file like a, a habeas corpus. Um, and there are three reasons that you can do this, the why you can file this. There, One is you're innocent. That's a reason to be like, I'm innocent. Two, cause and pre- prejudice, which would be like the Brady violation. And three is a jurisdictional issue. So they raised... They basically raise the issue with the Brady violation, and then through their investigation, they discover that in the photo lineup that they showed Stanley Stotler, the victim, in the hospital, they had actually enlarged Jonathan's photo so that it was not like crazy bigger, but it was bigger than every other picture in the lineup and also like much closer into his face where the other ones were like kind of more like less lighting and smaller. And then when Stanley said that he could not 
identify who shot him. They're like, well, just guess who you think did it. Are you kidding That's what they me? told him to do. I'm not kidding. So when they discovered that, this is indicative of tampering and improper suggestiveness and then it also turns out that there was this corrupt police officer on this police force that had a blog who had wrote who had wrote who had written a blog post claiming that Jonathan Irons had confessed to him he had made a confession he said he was guilty but he had done it when they were in a room alone and there was no recording devices in the room and oh no he doesn't have those notes anymore so he lost them but he evil. definitely confessed yeah so this allegation now they've got this blog post they question the police officer he's like i don't have a record of it but i stand by it or whatever this claim basically impeaches the police's credibility in this case so finally when they're so these they already have all of that then they also add when they're filing with petitioning for habeas corpus the issue of ineffective counsel because as i mentioned his lawyer failed to call alibi witnesses and i guess failed to object to some of the gun evidence that the that the prosecutors presented mm-hmm. that was like i guess really wackadoo and the lawyer didn't say i object you know just let it let it go so they file for the habeas corpus on december 21st of 2018 and on october 9th of 2019 just to show you how like the swift arm of the law might move quickly, but my God, this the super slow arm of the courts, mm. it takes forever. So almost, you know, almost a full year after they file, there's finally a hearing. Um, and the judge decides that the fingerprint evidence needs to be reevaluated and would go back, look into it, and would make the, his decision on whether or not to grant this habeas corpus in two months. So with the proceedings dragging on and on and on, Maya comes back and says, I'm actually going to sit out this next 2020 season as well. My focus is I'm getting Jonathan Irons out of prison. And she's becoming a very like vocal, like social justice reform, criminal justice reform. Um, So she decides she's going to sit out another season. And again, you guys, this was like right in the peak of her, her career. So over the years of friendship and fighting for his freedom, it had become pretty clear to them, Maya and Jonathan, that they really cared about each other. But they also didn't want to distract from the fight from his cause. But one day when Maya was visiting, she came back from like grabbing stuff at the vending machines. And he said, can I ask you something? And she's like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, would you marry me? And she gasps. And he's like, I don't want you to answer me right now. I don't want you to answer me until I'm home. Because we don't know what's going to happen. And she's like, you're going to come home. He's like, but I don't want you tied to me in here uh so he's basically letting her know what his intentions are like i'm in love with you and if we get me out of here i would love it if you would marry me um and maya's also completely in love with him and now knowing that this is like reciprocated and what his intentions are this makes every blow every setback every just unfair stupid little thing that much more devastating then on march 9th of 2020 The judge, who was like, I'll come back in two months, but actually came back five months later. Um, And he hands down his decision on whether or not to grant habeas corpus and decided to overturn Jonathan's conviction. Woohoo! There's this huge celebration in the courtroom. Everyone is so excited. But unfortunately, just because he overturned the conviction, that doesn't mean Jonathan gets to leave prison. Why? Because it's up up to the prosecutors to decide if they're going to retry him for the crime. Like... Yes, he's no longer been found guilty, but they can take him back to trial, you know, and try him again. 
Um, and Jonathan's going to remain there until they decide to retry him or they allow him to leave. And per Maya, she's like, the state seemed determined to take every opportunity to delay his release. The attorney general like punted and was like, we need to send this case to the Supreme Court because I'm not really even sure like if we have the right to be doing any of this. And so now they have to wait for the Supreme Court. They they finally on June 30th of 2020, the Supreme Court denies the attorney general's request to like punch okay. the case to them. And they're like, no. We're not going to look into this case. Do your job, Attorney General. You either need to retry him or let him go. We don't need to look at it to tell you that. So on July 1st, so just remember, it was December of, of 2018 when they presented all of this evidence. It is now two years later, and the prosecutor's office holds a press conference saying, that to retry Jonathan Irons would violate their ethical beliefs and Jonathan is going oh to be released gosh. from prison. And then the tears yes. for the rest of the documentary for me. So when Jonathan walks out of prison towards his group of supporters, including Maya, Maya falls to her knees. Like you see it's on camera. She falls oh to her knees in relief. She's crying. She's on the ground. Then later on that day, after all of the, you know, like kind of crazy energy and they drove him like through his old home. I mean, you guys, he's 40 now. He was 16 when he was thrown away in prison. Um, So they take him like past his grandmother's house. They take him to the cemetery to see his grandmother passed away four weeks. Like not four weeks. Sorry. When he was in jail and he didn't find out until four weeks later oh that she God. had died. And so to say, you know. To see her like gravestone and tell her that he got out, that he's home. It's a really emotional moment. So after all the excitement and all of the like visiting of old places, it's Jonathan's turn to get down on one knee. And he asks Maya if she will marry him. And before he can even finish saying it, she's like, yes. Mm. And the two got married on July 10th of 2020. So I also oh, just yay. love this. He was released on July 1st of 2020 and they were married nine days later because they, they had waited yeah. so long. They've been waiting years. Then in 2021, Maya and Jonathan met with some civil suit attorneys and they are filing a lawsuit against the state of Missouri for the wrongful incarceration of mm -hmm. Jonathan. And their plan now, they've been asking her like, are you going to come back to basketball? And she's like, I'm going to enjoy you know, like the fruits of my labor and yeah. sacrifice. Like I'm, I just got married. We just got him out. So she won't answer whether or not she's going to come back to basketball. We'll have to wait and find out. Um, and we don't know the, the outcome of the civil suit, but we know that one has been filed. But this is the part where I was literally like, I wasn't just kind of like tears rolling. I was like, where is the documentary? I bought it on oh, Amazon. Okay. Um, it's called 30 for 30. I think it's through ESPN. Ah, okay. Um, I'd love to watch it is all. But it, you should, everyone should watch it. Um, and in an interview, Jonathan says, you know, knowing that this has all led me here, I would go back and serve those 23 <gasps> years all over again if it means that I get to be married to my favorite person in the world. And that's when I was like, oh my God, this is a rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a crime. This is like the... Uh, so I texted Vanya. I'm, I'm crying at a feel-good crime story. <laughs> I love it. So Jonathan is free. The two plan to continue the work with when um, 
win with justice and to help other people in their scenarios and continue to raise awareness of like how unfair the the system right. is. And that is my really feel good crime oh, story yes. to accompany the really feel good. I am doing basketball. jazz hands over here because that is beautiful. Thank you, Avrin. Oh, it my was gosh. so good. Yes. Everybody check out. Check out. It's 30 for 30. Type in 30 for 30. Maya Moore. Got it. And Done. It'll tell Done. you where to find it. And it's it's just so good. And they like sing together because, you know, like the music oh. that inspired him in church. And oh, I just oh loved God. it all. I love the whole thing. You. So check check it out. And we love thank you, you so much for joining we'll us this week. Yes. Next Tuesday. Right. Bye, everybody. All thank right. you. Bye. Bye.